Welcome to episode 37 of the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, how being a physiotherapist has influenced my horsemanship journey. In today's episode, I want to talk about my experience as a physiotherapist and how that has actually influenced what I do with horses. So I want to talk about why I got into physio in the first place, some similarities between my career as a physio and a horsemanship coach, and how being a physiotherapist has influenced my perspective on horse-related topics and in particular pain, posture, pathology and movement. Welcome to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, a source for riding and training insights with the goal of helping your horse be a light, happy and willing partner. I'm your host, Amalia Dempsey, a mainstream equestrian rider who discovered natural horsemanship and equine learning theory. And now I help riders like you achieve connection and communication with your horse so you can have more fun and fulfillment whilst prioritizing the partnership. Get more learning resources, including my free connection and communication mini course at AmaliaDempsey.com. Click the follow button so you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave me a rating and review or screenshot this episode and share on social media. I hope you enjoy the show. So just to let you know about my credentials as a physio um, before we get started, I'm a fully qualified physiotherapist and have been since 2014. I have a Bachelor of Health Science and a Master of Physiotherapy, and I was fortunate enough to receive the ducks of my year level that year. So I had I got the G, uh, highest GPA out of my peers, which I was, I was super proud of. Um, I was head physio at a local MPL soccer club for six years, and I've also had international work experience with Adelaide United Football Club. I've been running my own private practice for six years now and I'm a published author in the Journal of Clinical Neurophysiology and that was in 2015 looking at um, chronic shoulder pain patients and suprascapular nerve blocks. Um, And I have additional training in dry needling, DMA clinical Pilates and APPI Pilates. And I've also dabbled a little bit in um, courses to do with animal physiotherapy. So I did my level one APA animal physiotherapy qualifications uh, for canine and equine. And I've also done additional study in equine musculoskeletal anatomy. So yeah, I mean, listing out those credentials, I'm like, wow, I've done a lot when it comes to physio. Um, But yeah, the years have flown by. It feels like honestly, yesterday I was still in uni, but um, yeah, a lot has happened in that time. Now I got into physio in the first place because I actually wanted to be a horse physio. Um, I saw firsthand how using an equine physiotherapist helped my own horses and I thought wow that would be such a cool career and I was kind of like really intrigued by what the physio was doing with my horse and uh, I just thought she was just magic in terms of what she was doing with her hands and the way she was explaining things and I was just so super curious and it was just like really humble beginnings and really um, innocent kind of beginnings in terms of not really knowing anything about that field of study and when I looked into the pathways on how to become a equine physio You actually need to become a human physio first before you can go into equine physio. I think these days you can also do veterinary um, qualifications first before you go on to do physio, but you have to have uh, those degrees first before you can actually enter into the equine space. And unfortunately, by the time I finished my human physiotherapy studies, there was no longer a equine physiotherapy degree offered within Australia. My plan originally was to go to Queensland for a couple of years to finish 
finish my equine physiotherapy studies, but I, um, yeah, I, by that time I kind of wanted to start working and start earning some money and also, like I said, the degree was no longer offered in Australia, which meant that I would have had to go to England or South Africa to complete my studies. And I just wasn't willing to do that at that point in time. And I was really enjoying the human physiotherapy side of things. So I decided to um, carry on with that uh, career pathway instead at the time. So um, I want to talk about now the similarities between my profession as a physio and also as a horsemanship coach. And I, I often reflect on these similarities um, when I'm dealing with patients, but also when I'm dealing with horse clients. So I think they're really interesting um, comparisons. So the first point I want to make is that there are no magic bullets or quick fixes, right? So I feel like in both spaces, there are people who are looking for this magic quick fix, this this pill that's going to make them better or this one technique or this one, um, you know, style of treatment or this one uh, type of training that's going to fix all of their problems. And it's just, it's just not, it's just not true. (laughs) Um, Very occasionally I'll get someone in who I can very quickly help within a short period of time. um, And it feels like to them that they've had a quick fix, but that that's the minority Um, and yeah, sometimes I think, was that a coincidence where they're getting better anyway? Like I really, I truly don't believe that there are any kind of magic bullets when it comes to both the physiotherapy world and also the horsemanship world. The second point is that those that do the homework get results. So it's one of my biggest challenges as a physio to encourage people to do their home exercises, their rehab exercises to help rehabilitate their injury, pain or problem. And, um, Every now and then I get a really uh, disciplined patient that comes in and they're like, yep, I'm going to do all my exercises and they do all the exercises. And funnily enough, they get better relatively quickly, especially compared to those people who don't do their exercises at all. And this is the same in horsemanship because uh, usually within my lessons anyway, I give people homework or something to work on in between lessons. And if you can't, if you don't work on those things in between lessons, um, well, the next lesson, we're pretty much going to be working on the same things because like we needed those other things to improve before we could progress. So I've, I've really found that those um, are similar with horses and with physio, but I feel like people in general with horses are way more motivated to um, work with their horses because it's like, I guess, rewarding in itself just being with your horse compared to exercises where people, even though they're in pain and that's motivating them, exercises can somewhat be a little boring and people tend to not prioritize them. Um, again, they're just looking for kind of that quick fix or that magic massage or whatever they're wanting to fix their pain. So I guess that highlights the whole, uh, kind of like victim mentality where, um, if you're not taking responsibility for your, either your injury or your horsemanship, Um, and you're kind of like blaming the horse or blaming your work, uh, if it comes to your injury or blaming, you know, like, oh, poor me, like this has happened to me and I'll never get better. Um, if you're playing the victim in either of those situations, it's just not a useful attitude to have. I find that the people that get better with their pain or injury and the people that get better in their horsemanship are those that actually take responsibility for their role in improving the situation. So they do their homework, they do their exercises, um, and they they kind of educate themselves and, and listen to what um, 
I'm saying either as a physio or as a horsemanship coach. The next point I want to make is that there are no gurus, like quote unquote gurus. And the more you know, the more you know you don't know. And that is seriously the case both with physio and with horses. I've, I've personally found it hard on my journey in both horsemanship and physio, um, balancing the whole, uh, hey, I don't know absolutely everything, but I still know enough to help you with the situation with where you're at. And if I don't, I'll refer you on to someone who can. And I think this is really applicable in both industries. So it really comes down to practicing within your scope of knowledge and skills. So uh, no, I don't know absolutely everything about the human body and about every single musculoskeletal condition. And I don't know everything there is to know about horses. However, I'm still able to help the majority of people that come and see me for either lessons or for treatment. So yeah, I think just accepting that there is no one that knows everything. Um, And in both fields, I have honestly searched for someone who has all those answers, but I've come to a place now where I'm comfortable with uh, learning little bits and pieces from different instructors and different physios and kind of creating my own style and being comfortable with making my own decisions when it comes to both of those fields. The next point is that everyone is an individual. So even when it comes to physio, two people can present with the exact same pathology, like let's say the exact same ankle sprain, so a tear in a specific ligament. They both have almost identical injuries, but they will present very differently, right? So they might have some common um, threads, like they might have pain in a similar region or whatever, but they might be presenting very differently in that the how long it takes them to get better will be different. Um, their range of motion will be different. Uh, the severity of their pain will be different. Like it, it's, it, I, I see it so much in the clinic. I think oh, this was something that kind of disappointed me when I left uni because at uni we're taught these clinical patterns that are very much, um, very much kind of like basic patterns uh, to help identify certain diagnoses but when you get into the real world you realize that every person presents a little bit differently and no one really ticks those perfect clinical boxes that we're taught in uni and I think this is the same with horses as well because every horse presents a little bit differently every horse has their own unique personality their own unique experiences and their own understanding of what they know when it comes to navigating their life with humans so in both my practice as a physio and also um, working with horses, I really have to listen to the person or horse in front of me and adapt my approach to suit that individual person. And initially, again, I struggled with this because it's like, oh, you know, you need a set system to follow um, and, 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 you know, have these systems in place to streamline everything. Um, but I think it's important to have a framework that you can work from, but you really do have to adapt and be really flexible in terms of your approach to individual horses and humans. Okay. So the next point I want to make is somewhat controversial and, um, it's something I've pondered a lot over the years and questions I have had, uh, all along in terms of my horsemanship journey. And, and that is around this idea of quote unquote, correct movement. 
biomechanically correct movement, especially where we are saying that that biomechanically correct movement reduces pain. Because as far as we know in terms of the scientific research currently, um, this hasn't been like solidly proven that, you know, if you always sit in good posture, you, you uh, won't get pain. That that hasn't been proven, I'll say yet, because there's always uh, loopholes in the scientific literature. And um, yeah, so we had this model of uh, an idea in terms of thinking that, oh, if people just move in a perfectly symmetrical, correct uh, kind of way, they won't run into pain or injury. And that's just, it's just not true. We still see that. In fact, I see people with what you would expect to be the perfect posture and the perfect form, and yet they still have pain and injury. Now, in saying that, I do still think it's important to have some coaching around um, what might be a better way of moving for you, but it kind of comes back to the individual again because someone who always has what we think is perfect posture or perfect form, maybe they need to relax a little bit and allow themselves to slump and sit in different positions and add in some movement variability because they're so rigid in the way that they move. So yeah, I'm kind of hesitant to say that this particular movement or posture is always good or always bad. It's kind of much more nuanced than that. And it's not as black and white when it comes to that in the physio world. I wish that it was because it would make my life so much easier. And how this is related to horses is there is a, there's so much debate like around this is the right way to move. The horse's head needs to be like this. Um, you know, the, the back should never do this. They should never move this way. And it's like, wow, I just think we all need to relax when it comes to that space. Because for me and um, with my knowledge in physio, it's really about movement variability. It's, it's about um, how much a horse can adapt to its environment, to the movement challenges, um, in front of it that, that it's faced with. And I think one of the leading people in this area when it comes to horses is Kathy Sierra. And I did do an interview with her uh, previously about this. And I think she's really an in, really intelligent person and she's really bringing what we know in the physiotherapy and human movement space and bringing it to horses. Because to be perfectly honest, I think the current biomedical approach we have in the horse world um, is, is very behind what we are uh, doing in the human world when it comes to physiotherapy, human movement um, and exercise. So I don't have all the answers when it comes to that area, but I do know that I don't really think that there is one correct way to move in terms of the horse. And I think that uh, as long as the horse is getting movement variability, that's probably going to be the best thing for it. And when I say that, I mean, um, you know, not always moving in the one kind of posture. They're getting uh, different movement challenges like up and down hills or over jumps and cavalettis or around like large rocks or obstacles. Like I just think the, the more we can move our own bodies and our horses' bodies in different ways, the better adapted we will be um, when we're in potentially hazardous situations for our joints, muscles, etc. And it makes sense because you're kind of distributing the load more evenly across your body rather than always loading the body in the exact same way every single time. Another point I wanted to make about both fields is that just because you're more experienced in an area doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get better results. And again, I have seen this in the physio and horsemanship fields. 
And what I mean by this is sometimes when people have been in a field for a long time without staying curious and updating their knowledge, their methods of um, uh, application in terms of uh, their treatment approach or their approach to training horses can somewhat become a little outdated and they kind of fall behind what is the latest um, evidence and the best practice in both fields. So I think there are some young physios, there's some young horse trainers that are doing amazing things, right? For both the benefit of people with their pain and also for the benefit of horses. So just because someone has been around horses for 50 years, doesn't necessarily make them better, like a better um, practitioner than someone who's um, had perhaps less experience, but they're more open-minded and have a more kind of like modern approach, you could say, like using... Um, equine learning theory and and that kind of thing and evidence-based practice when it comes to physio. But in saying that, experience is still important. And I think if you're super experienced and open-minded and, um, you know, all over the latest science and that sort of thing, that's probably the ultimate combination. The next point that I want to make is that, uh, gosh, there are so many similarities between physio and horses. I love it. Um, Is that the advanced things when it comes to physio and horses are just the basics done really well or to a high standard. So um, good physios who get good results, they've, they've really mastered those basics. And I think as humans, we really like to overcomplicate things. And I mean, this is very easy to do, especially in the physio world where to a certain extent, some things are fairly complex, especially when it comes to the anatomy. But once you've learned it, it gets to a point where it's not so complex in your mind because you've kind of, you've already established that learning. Um, But uh, sometimes I've fallen into this trap myself, trying to make something in terms of someone's rehab, like more complex and more, um, more steps and, and making it a little bit harder for the patient to kind of complete as a result. Uh, And sometimes I don't get as good results compared to when I just focus on the basics and get those basics done really well and keep it really simple. So both with physio and with horses, I think all the advanced things and the amazing results, they happen because the basics are done really well. And I think in both areas, if you skip over those basics, uh, that's when you run into problems. The next point I want to make is that it's not enough to just know the theory and be good at applying the technique. You still need to be a good person. So you could have the best physio in the world who's really knowledgeable and really skilled in terms of their application of technique. And by the way, this can be applied to horses as well, a horse trainer. But if you're not a nice person, you're you're probably not going to get good results because I think in both fields that that bedside manner, that communication energy, the way you connect with people and with horses is so important right? Even if your techniques are really good, if you do it with a bad attitude, I just don't think you're going to get the same result. And also you want it to be enjoyable. You want the process to be enjoyable. You want to, when you go see your physio, you don't want them to be in like kind of a crappy mood and feeling like they don't want to be there and like they're, they don't care about you. Like it's important that that person is experienced, um, knows their, uh, techniques, then they've got good application of skills, but 
it's really important that they're just a nice person in general. And it's the same with horses. You can apply the same technique, but with a bad attitude and you'll get a completely different result. The next um, similarity I wanna make is that everyone has an opinion. And this is the same with physio and with horses and in a big way in both worlds. Uh, and I see this a lot in physio when people go to their friends like, oh yeah, I had a, I had a bad back and my physio gave me this stretch. So you should do this stretch too. And it's like, whoa, that person might have a completely different pathology and a completely different experience and need, therefore need a completely different approach. So, um, and you know, we see this in horses too, like, oh, I did this with my horse and that made it, made them go on the float. You should do it too. Just because it worked for that person or that horse doesn't mean it's going to work for the next. And um, again, goes back to treating the treating the horse or human as an individual. And to be honest, there's a bit more that that goes into prescribing exercises for people with pain. Like we don't just go right back pain. These are the exercises for back pain. No, we take into much, uh, we take into consideration a lot more detail than that, including the pathology, including the aggravating factors, the easing factors, their current range of motion like this. It's just, yeah, it's much more. Whilst I've said that, you know, the basics and keeping it simple is important. There is a lot more that goes into it than just going, oh, back pain, do this stretch. And in the horse world, yeah, like I think, Everyone, um, and it's fine, like everyone's entitled to their opinion, but sometimes when you're bombarded by everyone's opinions, it's really hard to make sense of um, what you should be doing. And I think that's where that individualized uh, help is really important. The next point is about black and white thinking. And it being rarely useful when it comes to both physio and horses. For example, um, this one situation comes to mind. You may have seen in the past when people have injured their necks that we use a soft collar, like a cervical collar. Um, and that was, that was used to be recommended, but these days we encourage more of a movement based approach to rehab. And so we generally don't immobilize necks. We don't put soft collars on when they injure themselves. However, there have been cases where I have used a neck collar because that individual is overdoing things and moving their neck too much and aggravating their neck to the point where we can't settle things down enough to start a movement based approach. Um, so if I had that black and white thinking, like, no, we should never use soft collars that they're, they're not evidence-based and they're not, you know, they're not recommended anymore. Um, then I would have, wouldn't have even considered using that technique. Um, but because I stayed open-minded, I used that soft collar and that person was able to settle down their symptoms. And I think, yeah, this black and white thinking can be the case in the horse world as well. Like, especially with social media, when, you know, you, someone puts up a post and you think it's like gospel and it's like, never do the thing that they're saying is bad. And yeah, I just, um, I suppose from my experience with physio, I've learned that it's not always black and white like that. And I think the key is really staying open-minded. The next point that I want to make is that no professionals are always going to agree on everything. Um, and I see this in the physio world because there is a lot of debate around the use of manual therapies. So using your hands for treatment, like soft tissue techniques, manipulation, mobilization, um, dry needling, massage guns, all of those things um, 
and exercise. So exercise therapy, rehabilitation, um, pain education, and, and that side of things. And there is this debate between those two things and like which one's better. And I think this is kind of similar to the whole R plus versus R negative debate, like negative reinforcement versus positive reinforcement. And um, it's almost like these two camps in both fields of my work. And again, I just think it's, it's not a, it's not that it's a pointless debate, but it's like, can we stop trying to work out which one is better? And again, go back to using what's going to work best for that individual um, and staying open-minded and perhaps becoming uh, or having a more um, open approach to using different tools in your treatment and or work with horses. And there are there are many physios that, and horse trainers that I 100% respect and I, I love the work that they do, but I might not necessarily treat or train in the way that they do. And you know what? That is totally okay. That doesn't make what I do wrong. It doesn't make what they do wrong. It's just that we've got different experiences that have led us to, the, to those opinions and um, ways of practicing. And I think in general, we need to kind of stop uh, having these debates and I think it's healthy to question certainly question what we're doing um, but can we stop pointing the finger and saying that these people are wrong and these people are right and um, and just kind of empower ourselves to learn as much as we can and make decisions based on our knowledge and experience uh, as well as the science. And the last point that I want to make about comparing the two fields is that it's an art and a science. So in both fields, there is a science component in terms of, you know, there's research around um, these different training techniques and different treatment techniques and different pathologies. But there's also the art of like running a consult of, you know, being a good person, connecting with your client um, and a lot of things that can't necessarily be measured by science. And this is uh, evident, like I said earlier, you can apply the exact same technique um, and get a completely different result on two different patients with a similar pathology. And this is also the case with horses in terms of you can apply that technique, but, you know, if you're the art side of things is off, your energy, your intention, your connection with that horse, then it's not going to have the same result. And this was also highlighted on um, my interview with Luke Thomas. I think I asked him about how, how do you balance the whole art versus science um, side of things when it comes to horsemanship? And he said his answer was, and it's kind of stuck with me since, is horsemanship is a 10,000 piece um, jigsaw puzzle. There are just so many pieces. And I think if we can understand and accept that it's a never ending learning process and just be happy with, you know, working on one piece at a time and understanding that it's a blend of art and science, then um, I think we're going to feel more comfortable with what we're doing. Okay, now I would like to talk about how my perspective has changed because of physio. Um, because of my experience with physio and working as a physio, as well as my knowledge in musculoskeletal anatomy. So the first point I wanna make is that we are all asymmetrical and that's okay. And I think sometimes people have this kind of, um, not obsession, but like fixation 
on helping their horse be perfectly straight and being so worried that they're not perfectly symmetrical. And let me tell you, there is not one symmetrical person that I have come across in the clinic after treating thousands of people. Um, and, and that's totally normal. I think it would be really abnormal if I saw someone that was perfectly symmetrical. Uh, life is not symmetrical. We move our bodies asymmetrically. We, every single task that we do has an asymmetrical um, component pretty much. Um, so it, it, I think it's okay. Like just, I think we need to kind of take a chill pill and that I think it's fine to work towards symmetry. Absolutely. Like I think that, um, having our range of motion as symmetrical as possible is a great thing to strive for, but know that we're never really going to achieve that. <laughs> it kind of goes back to the whole horsemanship puzzle thing. Like be uh, comfortable with the process and journey of learning as much as you can, but know that you'll never know everything there is to know about horses. So be comfortable with the fact that you are asymmetrical, um, but keep working towards asymmetry. And I think that the, sorry, keep working towards symmetry rather. I think um, what's more helpful is to focus on function, right? So focus less on how asymmetrical you are and focus more on how and what, on what your ability is to do that particular task um, that you're wanting to do. The next point I want to make is that pain doesn't always equal pathology. And when I say pathology, I mean like a diagnosis, like a specific type of damage to a bodily structure, say. Um, so, and we've known this for a long time, but I think it, the message has not, uh, dripped out to general public, um, yet. Uh, so when there's a pain in our bodies, we think something must be wrong, but we've proven now that this is not always the case. And pain is much more complex than that. Pain takes into consideration, not only the potential damage from your, uh, peripheral structures, from your anatomy, um, but it takes into account many other factors, including your beliefs, thoughts, previous experience, um, other psychosocial factors, your mood, how much sleep you've had, whether it's appropriate for you to feel pain at that time. Like it, it's so much more nuanced than pain equals damage. Um, and yeah, I think that, uh, you know, there's probably been cases uh, you might have experienced with horses where they're clearly in pain, but you've done every scan under the sun and there's nothing specifically wrong on those or found wrong on those scans and tests. Uh, and we see this in humans as well. So they might be presenting with a very particular pathology. We go get imaging if we think it's warranted and surprise, surprise, there's actually nothing abnormal on that image. And I've learned to become more comfortable with this um, because of the fact that pain is much more complex and it doesn't always mean that there's something seriously wrong um, or even minorly wrong with um, the body in terms of damage. The next thing that has changed my perspective because of being a physio is knowing that science has not proven everything yet. We don't have all the answers yet. Uh, research is will be never ending. Um, there's not always solid evidence to support the use of certain techniques or uh, proven why things happen. There's still a lot of mystery around the human body. I also wanted to let you know that I've discovered that through my work as a physio, that tension can be stored in the body. 
I have definitely noticed a pattern between clients or patients who are tense and anxious or depressed. They, their pain is worse and they generally feel a lot more tension in their body. And I think this could be the case with horses as well. I'm not a equine physio, I don't work as an equine physio, but I'm sure equine physios would agree with me and perhaps they've found this similar pattern in that if a horse is mentally stressed, depressed, anxious, perhaps it's reflected in their physical state. Perhaps they have more tension, more pain. Um, and yeah, I, I don't want to go as far as saying like that this tension causes pain or injury because I, I don't know if that's true as such, but I think there's definitely a pattern, a correlation there. I have also learned to not kind of freak out about diagnoses. So if there is a, a scan that shows a particular pathology when it comes to horses or humans, I don't immediately kind of freak out um, <laughs> because whilst before I said that sometimes we can scan people who have pain and there's no pathology, we can do the opposite. So we can scan someone who has no pain and we find things that are wrong. So where does that leave us? I think what we have to do with that information is we actually have to match the clinical picture to the diagnose, uh, to the imaging. So if we see something on imaging, but that person doesn't show any clinical symptoms of that um, finding, then it's probably unrelated to that person's pain. And perhaps depending of course, on what, what we're seeing on that image, not something that we necessarily need to worry about. So if an example of this in horses would be, if your horse has um, a little bit of arthritis, but they're functioning perfectly fine, they don't have any lameness, um, then, you know, it's probably unlikely that that arthritis is affecting that horse at the moment. Uh, but again, I'm not a equine physio or a vet, so speak to your vet to confirm. Um, but ask those questions, like, you know, and I'm sure a, an educated vet would agree, like, if the horse isn't showing any signs of that pathology affecting them, then it's probably not something to be worried about. I've already spoken about movement variability being the key with horses and humans. And as a result of this, I don't um, become obsessed with posture. And whilst I do think posture is important, I think that it's totally fine to sit slumped, to sit with your legs crossed. I think that, um, and to sit asymmetrically. I, I do think though, because when we are riding our horses, we do need to, we kind of owe it to them to be as symmetrical and balanced as possible so that we can make their job of carrying us as easy as possible. I do think that working on our postural muscles and our postural integrity and our core stability um, does help our ability to ride. But do I think that sitting in like what would be considered poor posture, do I think it's bad? Probably not, especially if it's not for an extended period of time. The other thing that I don't do because of my experience with physio is I don't get fixated with certain treatments. Like um, I know that any sort of manual type therapy, whether it's massage, mobilization, manipulation, um, any sort, sort of modality designed to relieve pain is temporary, right? So the, the mechanism 
the current understanding of the mechanism of these manual techniques is what we call neuromodulatory. So it's very unlikely that those techniques are changing physical properties within the musculoskeletal system and is more so having an effect on the nervous system in the way that we process pain and discomfort. Um, and I think that whilst these therapies are fantastic for temporary re relief, and don't get me wrong, I love getting a massage, movement is the key when it comes to rehab. So if you are getting body work done on your horse by a hopefully a qualified physiotherapist um, or highly educated uh, massage therapist or even a equine chiropractor, then make sure you're asking them what sort of movements should I be doing with my horse? What should, are there any stretches? Are there any exercises that I could be doing to help this horse recover from whatever it is that they're suffering from? Which brings me, when I'm talking about movement variability, it brings me to the point of the perfect surface. I don't actually think the perfect surface in terms of an arena is always the best thing. I think that it's really good for horses to move on uneven kind of surfaces because it helps their body adapt to those uneven terrains, which um, helps to activate uh, kind of like different muscles and different sensory perceptors and improve their proprioception or their body awareness around how their body is moving. And I think we've, some of us have probably ridden horses that have always been ridden on the perfect surface. And then you take them on an uneven surface and it, they feel really like they don't even know where their legs are. And something that comes to mind when I'm talking about this is I've never really had an arena. It's only recently that I've had an arena to be able to ride on, which is an absolute luxury for me. But growing up and all through my teenage years and all through whilst I was competing, all I had was a paddock to ride in. So I would ride in a paddock. It was somewhat flattened, but it was basically dirt. There wasn't a proper surface. And I was very used to riding um, on these kinds of surfaces. And uh, at Pony Club uh, eventing competitions, often the dressage arenas are not on perfect surfaces. And I remember this one particular event where the dressage arena was literally on the side of a hill and everyone was complaining. And I literally didn't even notice that it was on a side of a hill because I was just, I just was used to it. Um, and you know, uh, he did the horse I was riding. We did actually, uh, lead the dressage after that phase because it didn't affect us. Whereas some of the other horses were having a lot of difficulty or perhaps the riders were having difficulty balancing their horses on that kind of surface because they just hadn't had practice at it. So yeah, I do think it's a really good idea to, um, Give your horse a variety of surface, surfaces to work on as well as terrains. So my horses, I don't have a super flat property, so they're on hills. And I think it's honestly a really good thing for their bodies as well as my body when I have to walk up and down those hills. Um, everything in moderation, right? Like if it's a really steep hill and they're on it 24-7, then that might not be a good thing. Uh, but I think in general that... Um, the different surfaces are good in terms of conditioning the horse's body and proprioception. The other thing that has uh, challenged my beliefs when it comes to horses through my experience as a physio is I've always believed that nature is always like best or getting close, like, closer to nature or what na nature intended for us is best. But I have found this to not always be the case when it comes to the physio clinic because 
Uh, for example, there is a barefoot movement going around in, well, horses and humans. And I found some people have tried to transition to barefoot, like completely barefoot or barefoot type shoes. Um, and it really hasn't suited their particular foot posture. And um, they really do need the support of a shoe and or an inner sole in order to avoid having foot, ankle, knee, hip problems. Um, and that is perfectly fine. We've evolved, we've evolved over the years to need shoes. And I think that's okay. And, um, when it comes to horses, all of my, just disclaimer, like all of my horses are barefoot, but if, if I ever needed to put shoes on my horse or if my farrier recommended shoes or boots or whatever, I wouldn't dismiss that completely because, I. I from what I've seen with humans in the clinic, it's like sometimes those interventions are needed and warranted. And the same thing with medications, certain medications. Now in Australia, legally, physios cannot prescribe medication. So I'm talking in reference to um, what their GP has recommended, but sometimes people just refuse to use pain medication um, when their injury is really bad because they think they should be feeling the pain. But sometimes by uh, not allowing themselves that option to have the painkillers. They're actually creating these compensatory movements that, it, that uh, can lead to other problems in the body. So it's like, you know, do you want to end up with other problems or do you want to just take the pain relief and let it settle down and normalize your movement patterns? So yeah, sometimes these, I guess you could say unnatural interventions can actually be good things. Um, the next thing I want to say is that your vet knows best. So I think it's great that people these days are doing their own research and educating themselves on certain areas, but I think it's so important that we still trust in our professionals. They look at these problems day in, day out. And, um, you know, often in the clinic, I have people that come in to see me and they uh, have kind of self-diagnosed what they think the problem is and what they should do about it. And like straight up, like from what they've told me, I'm like, no, this is not the diagnosis. This is not what's what's going on here. And this is not what you need to be doing. These are the things that you should be doing. And I can see how they have arrived at that um, kind of incorrect diagnosis from what they've searched on the internet. But I can clearly see the clinical pattern in front of me that's, that it's not the case. So I think from this, I have developed a newfound respect for my own horse professionals because I'm like, well, they've probably seen this a thousand times uh, or way more times at least than I. So they know what they're doing. So educate yourself, but still trust in your vet's opinion. And if you're still unsure, get a second opinion because if two or three vets are saying the same thing, then they're probably right. The other thing um, I also want to mention when it term, in terms of how physio has changed my perspective when it comes to horses is that I do think about delayed onset muscle soreness for horses. So when, I don't know if many of you do much exercise, but uh, when you exercise hard, particularly with resistance type training, so lifting weights, um, you a couple of days after or one to two days after you might develop what's called delayed onset muscle soreness or DOMS for short. And it's basically this ache that you get in the areas in the muscles that you have worked that generally subsides within seven days, um, but it can make it 
a little uncomfortable to do things that involve those muscles, even simple things in the days or week um, leading or after that particular exercise. Uh, so I think horses also experience this. So let's say you do a hard session with your horse, uh, physically hard, and then you want to ride the next day, they might be suffering some DOMS or even for the week after that exercise session. So I think doing back-to-back -back hard sessions, unless your horse is conditioned for that and used to that, they might be experiencing some uh, temporary pain. But because horses don't have this ability to understand that, oh, that's just delayed onset muscle soreness, I can exercise through that and I'm going to be okay. No, they're not going to interpret it in that way. They're going to feel like, oh, my body feels stiff and sore and achy. I don't want to move. Um, and I think this potentially could create some behavioral problems because you, you might go to do the same session two days in a row and on the second day the horse is worse, but it's just because they're experiencing that DOMS, but you might interpret it as a behavioral problem. So really consider when you've done a harder session with your horse, perhaps you give them you know a few days or even up to a week off after that session to allow their muscles to recover. And the next point I wanna make is that, kind of leads into that, is that biomechanics and behavior are both important. I think that um, we, we can get kind of blinded depending on what uh, area we are interested in. So if we're really interested in biomechanics, like, you know, quote unquote, correct uh, movement or dressage training or, uh, yeah, moving a horse in a particular way, we can sometimes be blinded by the potential behavioral problems right in front of us, the, the emotional and mental side of that horse's training and vice versa. Sometimes I think if we're so focused on the mental and emotional side of things um, and we're really into ta connecting with our horse in that way, we forget that sometimes the biomechanics plays a part in why that horse might not want to do a particular behavior. A classic example of this is doing really small circles with horses. So, Often in horsemanship um, type circles, literally, um, they will be working on circling their horses around them, sometimes at the trot and canter and sometimes on a really small circle, like on a short lead, like even a 12 foot lead creates a fairly small circle. And if we look at the dressage levels, they don't introduce 10 meter circles until about elementary level dressage. So they do require some collection and some organized use of their body before they can move in a balanced way on a 10 meter circle. So I think especially for young immature horses, um, circling on small circles at fast gates can potentially be detrimental to that horse's uh, balance on the circle and their, therefore their confidence um, moving at faster gates with humans. Uh, because when a horse's balance is threatened, well, their survival mechanism is threatened because they need to feel balanced in order to be able to flee. So it can be quite a scary situation for horses. Um, so yeah, I think I just wanted to make the point that I think it's good to have this holistic view, like thinking about, oh, well, if you run into a problem, could this be a behavior problem or a biomechanics problem or a pain problem, etc. Goes comes back to that whole really staying open-minded um, kind of approach. And the last point that I want to make is understanding human movement and rider biomechanics. And this is something that has 
really completely transformed the way that I personally ride because I now have a deeper understanding of the way the human body moves um, both on and off the horse. So I no longer am confused about, you know, what my where my pelvis should be or, you know, what is quote unquote good posture when riding or um, some of those questions that people have when uh, they lack this body awareness and knowledge around anatomy. And I don't think you need to have all of this extensive musculoskeletal anatomy knowledge to be a good rider, but I do think there's um, some things that you could do, including off the horse exercise to improve your riding. So um, I remember even as a teenager, I've always been kind of fascinated with how the body moves and like working out how to be a better rider. I've, I've always been interested in that. And I remember sitting in my living room when I was still living with my parents with a Pilates for horse riders book in hand and looking at like, you know, wondering where the heck the psoas muscle was because there was an image of the psoas muscle and um, the, the book was explaining how it's important to stretch this area uh, to help my riding. And I just remember like being really confused and really understanding or becoming aware of my lack of understanding of my own body and anatomy. I also remember like playing around with different pelvis positions and as a result getting like a, embarrassingly a sore crotch um, from riding with what I thought was a good seat position, um, which, you know, thinking back was definitely not the right position. Uh, but anyway, uh, I experimented. Um, now, for me, the knowledge I gain in human movement and musculoskeletal anatomy through my ac academic studies really equipped me to understand how the rider's body moves on like that deeper level, like not just understanding or knowing like, oh, you should put your leg here and put your hands here or whatever, but really understanding it from that musculoskeletal perspective. And I remember stumbling across a research paper that concluded that a core stability program could help improve a horse and rider's performance. And I was like, yes, awesome. This is what I need. And I contacted the publishers of that paper and asked them like what the program was and could they give me a copy of it or could they recommend any other program? And they said they really couldn't. I think they gave me a list of some of the exercises used, but they couldn't give me the full program for whatever reason. Anyway, so at that time I thought, well, I have the knowledge to create a core stability program. Uh, I know how riders move. Um, this is after I'd already done my physiotherapy studies and was working as a physio. Um, I'm already teaching Pilates. Like I can hundred percent create a rider specific exercise program that includes core stability. And this has already been scientifically proven to improve both the horses and the riders performance. So I thought, I'll just make my own. And initially I had no intention to share it um, with the world. I just kind of wanted to create it for myself. Um, and this is sort of around the time that I was experimenting with different types of horse training and natural horsemanship and positive reinforcement, etc. Um, but through my, as I progressed through that, I realized that in my teaching, my horsemanship teaching, I realized that the biomechanics piece uh, people were really missing that in terms of not understanding how to sit on a horse and how to ride in a more balanced way. And that was actually blocking some of their progress when it came to their riding. 
because really without being a good rider, we become a much more difficult load to carry for our horses. And therefore we can't communicate clearly and effectively in a way that enhances our harmony with our horses. And so I thought it was absolutely necessary and essential for me to share my rider specific program with the world so that everyone could improve the way that they ride and therefore improve the communication with their horses. Now, to be a good rider, we need to develop certain qualities and skills, um, and we can do that through exercise. And some of those skills include proprioception, body awareness, core strength, motor control through range, stability, relaxation, balance, symmetry, strength, uh, quote unquote, good posture, alignment, um, independent limbs, coordination, flexibility, and a lot more. I know that's a lot of qualities. And uh, if you're anything like me, you kind of just roll your eyes when someone says, but don't you just sit there? Um, so um, how do we actually go about improving these qualities? Well, that's exactly what I did inside this program that I developed. I looked at all the qualities that riders need to have in order to ride well. And I, uh, selected exercises, exercises, and in some cases, designed exercises to actually enhance those qualities. Now, the age-old advice of just riding more horses, to me personally, it doesn't really cut it anymore. And there's no doubt that riding more and getting more experience obviously helps you be a better rider. You can't become a better rider without actually riding. But most of us are amateur riders. We don't or can't ride 10 horses a day like the professional riders do. Um, and actually, the research has shown us that riding more horses can actually increase the chances of developing some of your asymmetries or, or making those asymmetries that you already have um, worse. So even professionals, in my opinion, need to do off the horse exercise. So like I said, I looked at each of the qualities mentioned um, earlier and I designed a program that helps riders easily develop them through an exercise program. So when I say easy, it's still going to be hard work, but it's easy for you to follow and easy for you to implement. And you don't need to have extensive um, riding or musculoskeletal anatomy knowledge in order to complete these um, exercise sessions. And, you know, when we know we're supposed to be doing exercise anyway for our own health, so I thought, why not make it exercise that actually improves our riding as well? And if you're anything like me, you won't always do things necessarily for yourself, but you'll do anything if it benefits your horse. And I just feel like non-horsey people just don't understand this, but hey, whatever gets you to um, actually complete some exercise. So enter the eight week rider specific exercise program. It's a program I developed for riders who want to become more balanced, more symmetrical, more strong, fit, coordinated, and develop that effortless looking riding position that we all desire when we ride. And I honestly believe that it's our responsibility as riders, if we're gonna be sitting on their backs, that we need to be as like the best versions of ourselves, both physically and mentally, so we can make their job of carrying us as easy as possible. And we spend so much money um, on our own horses, health and fitness. Um, and you know, if we neglect our own, we might be the weakest link in the partnership when it comes to riding. 
So if you're interested in joining me in the eight week writer specific exercise program, you can find out all the details exact on exactly what's included in the program um, and how to sign up, etc. at amaliadempsey.com. And if you click on shop, you'll see that I have my Horsemanship Fundamentals Academy there and also a link to the eight week program. Um, now, even though I've said it's an eight week program, you once you sign up, you have access for a minimum of 12 months. So you don't have to do it straight away. And now is actually a really good time to sign up because I'm, I have an introductory offer at the moment because um, it's whilst it is finished and as soon as you sign up, you can go through the program straight away. I'm still adding some small finishing touches, which is just going to make the program even better. So once I have added those, um, the price will be going up. So if you want to join now at the introductory price, then head on over to AmaliaDempsey.com. And I'll also put a link in the show notes uh, directly to the eight week program so you can sign up straight away. So there you have it, all of my current thoughts on how my journey as a physiotherapist has influenced my horsemanship journey. So hopefully that gives you a little insight into, uh, yeah, my journey in both worlds and some of the similarities between them and how my perspective has changed as a result of my knowledge and experience as a physiotherapist. If you loved this episode, please let me know, send me a message, or you can screenshot this episode and share on social media. And also remember to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts if you love the episode. Otherwise, we'll see you on the next episode. I have some exciting interviews coming up, so stay tuned and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Make sure you hit the follow button so you get notified every time a new episode is released. And if you've learned even just one small thing from today's show, I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or screenshot this episode and share it on social media. You can connect with me on Instagram at Amalia underscore horses or my website AmaliaDempsey.com where you can find free resources to help you on your horsemanship journey. That's all for today. Thanks for being here. Remember to train with kindness and ride with excellence and I'll see you in the next episode. 